Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. So did the Colts prove that they can play football or did the Colts prove that they can play 30 minutes of football? I mean, do we we take this loss to the Rams in overtime and say, well, they can press a good team to the edge? Or should we be wondering why in the world were there so many designed runs for a quarterback when Zach Moss is getting 100 yards a game? But the Colts seem to have less problems than IU football. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. JMV joins me right now. He is the voice of sports in Indiana from 93.5-1075 The Fan in Indianapolis. Walt Bell is out. Maryland 44, IU 17, and I don't think it was that close. Uh, talk to me about the move IU is making. Is it enough? What exactly is going on here? No, it's not going to be enough. I mean, basically, this has been Tony IU football from, oh, going back to 1969 until right now, for the most part. I mean, they've had, you know, a couple of moments here or there with Bill Mallory, um, and then they had that that COVID uh, pandemic moment in 2020 with Tom Allen, which kind of has led to all this. Now, I, I have always had questions whether or not it's ever going to be a legitimate football program, and I still have those questions. And, you know, getting rid of, of Walt Bell, who wasn't any good at his job, don't get me wrong, but getting rid of him is not going to all of a sudden raise the game of this offense whatsoever. Um, it's probably a situation in which Tom Allen found himself into because he was getting so much heat about how bad his team was. And, you know, they can't get rid of him right now because he's got a buyout, Tony, that if they do fire him, he gets about $20 million, which de-escalates down to, I think, $8 million coming up next year or after next year. So, it would be more logical if you're looking at the funds down in Bloomington that they wait to fire Tom Allen until after next year, considering I'm sure next year is not going to be a lot better than what this year is. But, you know, a change for the sake of making change because their football program, and especially Tony offensively, is an embarrassment. The issue is coaching. The issue is players. When you say they can't build a a I mean, I'm going to use different words. They can't build a real program at IU. It's IU. We're not talking about a small place here. And I don't want the people of Bloomington coming to kick my ass. But <laughs> they, they, why? how can you say make such a statement? Because that's the way it's always been. You know, outside of a few years here or there, you know, a good season in Bloomington for IU football is middling. Good season in Bloomington for IU football is, you know, squeezing out hopefully six wins and you know, beating the uh, – you know, the worst teams in the Big Ten, hopefully, in which they're on your schedule and kind of squeezing into a bowl game. That's always kind of been the case. And again, other than a couple of years, I absolutely love the Mallory family, and I love what Bill Mallory did, you know, with the football program. I and mean, still with a winning, or I should say a losing record overall, but, I mean, he gave everybody hope, and they had some good teams in the late 80s, had some good teams in the early 90s, but it's been few and far between. And I've often said this, I, it seems like that they've tried everything um, and it always kind of seems like a decision they make in the moment turns out to be ultimately the wrong decision. You think about what Tom Allen did. Tom Allen got redone after the whole um, the COVID season of 2020 when they surprised everybody. And 
you know, they're reeling off wins against the top tier teams in the Big Ten, and everybody got excited about Tom Allen and what he was doing. You know, Tom can recruit, he can, but I, I don't know if it's the fact he just can't hire good coaches. Uh, certainly not being a good coach himself at the college level probably plays a role. He's, you know, a defensive coordinator. Certainly he's done that in the past collegiately, but this is uh, going downhill fast. Um, and I thought Saturday was just yet another in the line of huge embarrassments for the football program. Hey, Tony, they, they weren't competitive until Maryland decided to go ahead and take their foot off the gas. I mean, they weren't even competitive, weren't even close to it. So um, I, I wish I wish I had answers for you right now. Um, if I did, they'd probably hire me in Bloomington because they don't have any answers either. And really, through the years, they never have. Talking to JMV, the voice of sports in Indiana from 93.5-1075. The fan, you can find him on the X Twitter. JMV1070 is where you find him. Rod Carey, now uh, offensive coordinator, quality control uh, coach, also a former coach at Temple and Northern Illinois. Uh, IU is 2-3, and three, which is the exact same record as Purdue. Uh, the only thing you could say about them is that their new coach, Got a little bit of, uh, if you will, revenge over his former team, Purdue 44, uh, Illinois 19. But two and three, new coach, is this this okay? Well, I mean, it, it, coming off of that went over Illinois, it's okay. I don't think it's okay at all because you lose. Those three losses are all at home. And I think Boilermaker fans certainly expected a little bit better of a season than that, not losing that opener to Fresno State. and you know, getting housed once again by Wisconsin is what Purdue fans have become used to. But, you know, trying to compare that to even IU. IU has wins over Indiana State and Akron. They had to beat Akron in four overtimes after Akron benched their kicker and their punter went out there and missed what uh, a chip shot field goal for the win in one of those overtimes. So, yeah, th- this is not close to the same. Um, it was interesting, I guess, Tony, on Saturday um, where, you know, Ryan Walters went out there and, and decided to go ahead and take over. Uh, calling the defenses um, for his team. Certainly took that over. Uh, He was a defensive coordinator at Illinois, his old school. It was a big win, certainly a morale boost for that football team that needed it because they've had a tough schedule, but a schedule that, you know, at home-wise could have been conducive to a couple more wins they just haven't found. But, yeah, I mean, he's going to get, because Walters is in year number one, he's going to get that. Well, everything's okay. It's going to get a pass. But there is some disappointment there considering that first month of the season, how this team, for the most part, has played at home. But they got themselves a little bit of a character builder on Saturday against Illinois, and that's a good thing. Let's move it over to the pros. Uh, The Rams 29, the Colts 23 in overtime. Uh, Before we get into that, we have to start with a tale of two halves. Why in the world? I, I think I was texting you during the game. Why yeah. in the world did a team that proved that Zach Moss can run the ball behind this offensive line? Why in the world they de- did they decide, hey, in the first half, Anthony Richardson, he should be running back one. Everything should be a design run play. What are we doing here? Well, and you know what? That may have been a miscalculation. This is just me guessing here, Tony. I was guessing, and this is how it felt sitting in the press box that they were trying to reestablish Anthony Richardson and getting him used to what he was doing, considering he had set out to 
the previous week, and there had been a lot of questions about, hey, is he going to have the same type of workload running the football? And if you remember, I told you, and I've told certainly my listeners, you know, this is something you might as well get used to. You might as well get used to it because it's going to happen all the time. You know, hopefully there at some point where it, um, again, is, is slowed down. And when that point happens, you'll know that they feel that he is a much better and more accurate passer, which hopefully is the case coming up down the road. But listen, it could be a, a miscalculation uh, by the coaching staff. Here's what I thought. And I don't know what you felt sitting at home watching this. I felt that this team didn't really look prepared to start that game. I mean, you have EJ Speed just making the bonehead of all bonehead plays. Think yep. about it, you take that away, where Matthew Stafford's, you know, a good three yards out of bounds, and Speed comes up on his own sideline, mind you, from out of bounds to pop Stafford um, to maintain that drive, and they ultimately score the first seven of the game on that drive. It just, to me, kind of seemed like both sides of the football, the Colts weren't ready. And it took them about a half of half a football for whatever reason to get ready. I like people have said, do you think they got full of themselves because they beat Baltimore and everybody was feeling good? I, I don't know if it was full of themselves, but it didn't look like that they were prepared to play to start that game. The decision making, you know, all the way around, you can put it on the coaches as well. Just did not seem like it was ready for the moment to begin that game against the Rams, and and really they were embarrassed. I thought on both sides of the football in that first half. I don't think that is even a controversial statement. But then comes the second half, and here this team goes. Now, Anthony Richardson was only 11 for 25 for 200 yards. Zach Moss was 18 carries for 70 yards. So he's only about 8 to 10 carries off of where he probably should have been, as Anthony Richardson was 10 carries for 56. Uh, But what is, to make such a change at halftime, that's... That's a very weird thing. We saw this certainly with the Colts last year with Matt Ryan, that even though they didn't get the wins, they at least came alive in, 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 in the fourth quarter. Like there was some kind of, all right, I guess we should, should play now. How do, you, how do you change this? Is this something that you think Steichen and this team look at and say, okay, we can't go in there and try and make Anthony feel comfortable, Anthony Richardson. We got to go in there and start bombing this defense and getting points on the board. See if you follow me on this one. This is kind of what I felt. I, I do think that they made halftime adjustments and, and came out there and were better prepared. And and as I mentioned with my statement of the first half was an embarrassment, maybe felt that embarrassment to a team, to a person, and just came out with a desire to play better. But if you saw, and especially midway through the third quarter, Tony, when you saw Matt Ryan get dinged up where he could barely walk and you're wondering why he was still out there, I thought Sean McVay – I thought he took his foot off the gas a great deal offensively. I thought that, you know, he's thinking, i got to get my quarterback through this right now, and, you know, we can rely on field goals. It just kind of felt like – and then all of a sudden you saw them, you know, put the foot back on the gas in that overtime, if that makes sense to you, that that first possession in which they scored the touchdown and won in overtime. It just kind of seemed like that midway through the third, through the fourth quarter, that – that McVeigh was just trying to to maybe squeak out a win, knowing that his quarterback, you know, his quarterback was out there, didn't want to obviously go to the bench, and um, and, and the Colts didn't take advantage of it. And here's why: I, I they should have been all over Stafford. They should have been they should have been blitzing. They were to me so soft and playing Stafford, and especially in that overtime, 
it was mind-numbing with me. I mean, you give Stafford, who can't move all that time in overtime, for example, and then you get your best wide receiver who's wide open because of a defensive mix-up. At, at some point, you've got to realize, don't you, you got to be able to get after the quarterback. I thought Quiddy Pay uh, certainly hadn't been what Quiddy Pay was the first three weeks of the season. That part was disappointing. But maybe even more so with the team, the disappointment was once you saw Matt Ryan as hobbled as he was, not being able to take advantage Wait, of Wait, hold that on. Time out. Was too bad. Stafford. You're so used not to Matt Ryan that, being. Matt Ryan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I was thinking slow and, <laughs> slow and injured looking. Yeah, my bad. So, yeah, mixing up the players. Matt Stafford, uh, when you saw Matt Stafford with the way that he did that hobbled, it probably would have, uh, to me, it would have been better off to put as much pressure as you could on him. But they clearly had trouble in the back end with that secondary, and they're going to have even more trouble, I'm sure, further down the road in that. But, yeah, the defense, I think – Overall, they're playing the first half and then certainly in the second, that overtime was the most disappointing aspect to me, Tony, in that game yesterday. So now we we take a look at, at what comes. And yeah, the, the, the Mac game missed uh, field goal would have made the, the difference. Remember that uh, that the Rams yep. missed two field goals uh, in, in, in this game. You take from it what, though? You, you watch this team battle back. You watch them move it to overtime. Uh, certainly, I believe, in the fourth quarter with a minute 47 left, they should have been able to move uh, the ball. I think it was some I, – I would want to get an understanding of that play calling. But you are now the 2-2 two and two Colts. You had the worst day possible when it comes to the division because the Jaguars, the Texans, and the Titans all win. What are you saying to your team? What is it that you're doing for next week? Well, to, to me, it was such a missed opportunity. And we live right now, Tony, in a spot to where, hey, this is about a reboot and a rebuild. And I've said this with you plenty of times. Hey, that's great. That's exactly what this is. But it is okay to win during this. And we saw it back in 2012 when they won 11 games with Andrew Luck as a rookie. It was okay. That was a rebuild, too. But they won, and that makes it even sweeter. Really more sweet, probably, most of the time than if you're the favorite in general. So that was a huge missed opportunity. The two and two now, everybody in the AFC South, which is very AFC South-esque, but you get Tennessee coming up next weekend. Can you imagine the magnitude of that game, what the crowd would have been like? And I'm sure they'll be fired up anyway, but you could have put yourself in such a great position and you blew it yesterday. See, it's almost like we're not supposed to be critical about this team, Tony, because, hey, you know what? They're rebuilding and they got a 21-year-old quarterback. Bullcrap. You know what? We evaluate how they play, and they stunk for a full half of football yesterday. And it makes no difference whether or not you give them a pass. We shouldn't give them a pass because that was an incredibly winnable game, and you could have changed that dynamic going into Sunday that would have been so great for Colts fans and downtown, and maybe even the roof and the window would be open. It's going to be in the 60s and sunny. You're not going to pass that threshold of 80 degrees and Sunday afternoon, so you can't you know, obviously have the roof open according to their rules. But, no, nah, I mean, it was a missed op- – that's what it was. It was a missed opportunity. I like to hold teams to a higher standard. I think we're allowed to do that. And they scuffled around, waited too long, got down 23 nothing, and could not finish the deal. And ultimately, even in a rebuilding season, that is incredibly disappointing. 
By the way, the whole roof not being open is a mystery to absolutely everyone. Well, I, you want me to clarify it for you? No, I, I don't. I don't even know if I have the time. Do it in thirty seconds. Go. Okay, here's a clarification. All right, if there's a rain cloud anywhere between here and Kansas City, it's never going to be open. And if it, between noon and 4 o'clock, gets 80 degrees or warmer, it's never going to be open. Thank goodness that's, we spent the money real. on it. Go, go Indiana. Go, Indiana. <laughs> JMV, 93.5, 107.5, the fan in Indianapolis, the voice of sports in Indiana. Always appreciate you. More is coming up. I'm Tony Katz. I'm not sure how many times I'm going to need to tell you this, but you probably already know it. For the progressive, parental rights don't exist. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. For the progressive, there's no difference between the child and the adult. For the progressive, the objective is to destroy the nuclear family and put an end to to the conversation and concept of parenting and Toto. Here's just one more example. This uh, from TikTok about how children have rights and need to be protected from terrible parents, uh, which I guess are all parents. Let's talk about parental rights for a second because it's become evident that it's being used currently in this fight against queer people, and especially queer kids who need more protections than ever before. I do not know why gay kids need more protections than ever before, and why is it specifically about gay kids? I don't think that's the conversation. Uh, We're talking about the concepts of transgenderism and pronouns and surgeries and all the rest. Well, then, yes, it's a very big conversation because people like like yourself, adults like yourself, really believe that you should be allowed to maneuver, manipulate children into surgeries they can't recover from. That's pretty gross. But let it continue. Like in Saskatchewan and in the U.S., parental rights are being used to thwart any rights of autonomy that the kid might have. Children don't have autonomy. Who thinks children have autonomy? But wait till you hear the rationale uh, the TikToker uses. And I'm sorry, but kids do have autonomy. We've already established this. For example, if a kid needs a blood transfusion and the parents don't want to, it's not the parent's right to refuse that blood transfusion for that kid because it is life-saving. In the same respect, if a kid only needs to like use a different name and pronoun in school, there might be a reason and a good reason they're not coming out at home. That's claiming that the parent is terrible, the parent can't be trusted, the parent is the problem, the parent is dangerous, the parent must be excluded. That is progressive Marxist mantra 101. If you want the state to be in charge, the parents can't exist. The parent is also a place of religion. Since religion can't exist, well, then you see why the parent needs to be ruined and extricated from the situation, cleaved from the child. But you think a pronoun is the same thing as a blood transfusion, utilizing your ridiculous analogy. My gosh, you shouldn't be allowed near children or adults or heavy machinery. And they need a safe place to be themselves. And so to hell with this idea of parental rights when it comes to kids who have their own consent and then their own bodily autonomy and their own autonomy to their personhood that need to be protected. If children have autonomy and their own personhood, they can decide their medical uh, decisions, they can make medical decisions, they can make decisions, uh, financial decisions, they can enter into contract, and then, of course, decide whom they love and how they love them. The idea of children having rights is laughable. It's a, it's a failure to recognize that children are not adults and that children need to, need to be protected more often than not from themselves. But these people don't want to protect children. They want to go after children. Not because I say so. Did you just listen? They're saying so. 
Children should be left to decide. Children have autonomy. Parents, keep fighting. Don't ever stop. Don't ever rest. Don't ever quit. This is what you're fighting. You're right. They're wrong. The end. I'm Tony Katz, and this is Tony Katz Today. So it's a question of whether or not Republicans are going to move on the motion to vacate and remove Kevin McCarthy as Speaker of the House. I don't have an answer to what they're going to do. I have no idea how this is going to play out. What I know is there's anger from some members of Congress, certainly not all members of Congress. And yes, for as much as I don't allow the left to decide for me what is an issue or what is not an issue, we should at least note that they need to get some of these things fixed so they can be focused on the things that make our lives better. I want things done. That doesn't mean so much legislation passed as it means legislation removed, regulations removed, make my life easier, get government off my back. Thank you very much. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. I spoke with Congresswoman Victoria Sparts about the continuing resolution. What happened? What took place? Why she didn't vote for it? This idea of a debt commission, the threat she made over the debt commission, and then really got into the Are you ready to say that Speaker McCarthy should vacate? Are you saying you want a new Speaker of the House? But first, this conversation uh, about this continuing resolution. Victoria Sparks joins us right now. Congresswoman Sparks from the Indiana 5th District. Full disclosure, my member of Congress who has been very, very vocal about what has happened with this uh, continuing uh, resolution. And she voted against the plan. She joins us right now. Let's start with the conversation of the continuing resolution. You have been in an ongoing battle with Speaker McCarthy, ongoing conversations about the spending issues and how did we let things get to the very last second. You did this on Saturday, or I should say Congress did this on Saturday. So last second indeed. Tell me about your no vote. What was the reason for it? Well, thank you for having me, Tony, and thank you for having this conversation because it's very important to understand that Kevin fell on a lot of fiscal issues that are very important for Americans, and he failed to win. And I told him we failed to win on our authorization and the appropriations on the debt ceiling increase. Let's at least try to win and have a plan for next year. We cannot govern by crises. Wait till the last second. Second, and then let Democrats to pretty much have a blank check like we did last time for debt ceiling. And now more Democrats voted for giving more even money to Biden than Nancy Pelosi did. I said, can we put a debt commission to have a serious conversation and push on the Senate and Biden to agree to have that even after the election? I said, the, it will be, we will not even have to vote before the election. That seems like it's a common sense thing. And he did not put it in there. I was so disappointed. We fought with him on this issue. I almost pretty much had to put a gun to his head. I'm almost literally to be able to put it on the floor. And he's still folding on it. And I'm very disappointed. The disappointment is that he did not engage a level of fiscal conservatism. Is it, I want to make sure I'm hearing you properly. Or that he did not do what he told you he was going to do. Not it, No, he doesn't care enough to put this issue forward. So I had a very reasonable proposal. You know, we introduced the bill. We work on this issue for a while to have a debt commission that will start working right now. 
And at the end of next year, when we have to vote to another debt ceiling increase, because Kevin gave Biden a free, pretty much a blank check, you know, till the end of the year, he said, you can spend as much as you want. We lifted, he didn't even put limitation. We lifted all of the debt ceiling limitation. You spend as much as you want, but we'll vote again at the end of 24. So I said, let's try to have a conversation bipartisan, bicameral, and move the needle. I mean, this issue got, it was punted by many Congresses. It, the magnitude of this issue, the magnitude of effects of inflation on Americans are so material now. But these people are afraid. They're afraid because we would have to shake up Wall Street and K Street. And if some of your listeners don't know what <clears throat> K Street is, it's with all of these lobbying groups are located in Washington, D.C. So everyone is afraid. You know, Biden doesn't want it. Schumer doesn't want it. Jeffrey doesn't want it. They're both from New York, where there are very healthy PACs coming into their, giving money into their PACs. And I said, Kevin, we need to stand up for the people, not be afraid. So we got this proposal. It was an early SCR. I think Border needed more work, but that commission could have been in this CR, which would force us to get to the table and have a now, discussion. Let's let's take a moment. I want to hold off on the debt commission conversation because you put out a statement right before we went uh, to air with the show that is extremely, extremely strong. We'll get to that in a second. Talking to Congresswoman Victoria Sparts of the Indiana 5th District. Talk to me about the continuing resolution itself. There are levels of spending cuts in here. There's no funding for Ukraine in this. What is the argument against voting for this continuing resolution? You were one of the no votes along in Indiana with uh, Congressman Jim Banks and Congressman Rudy Yockum, uh, Congressman Greg Pence, four no votes uh, from from Republicans in the state of Indiana. Uh, Take the debt commission out. What was the reason for your no vote aside from that? Well, I mean, there is. What are, what are you talking about? It is the same spending plus sixteen billion of emergency fund. Who knows where they're going to spend? Because ever since emergency on the Biden, he spends whatever one probably will be funneling them to New York to help his friends there that now were ran by illegals that now dealt with other border. But what the problem is, you know, it's actually the same level that Nancy Pelosi gave him in 23 plus 16 billion. So there is no cut over there to anything. The same policy, continuation of the same policy. So I said, at least let's put them to the table to do something better next year. There is no win. More Democrats voted for that than Republicans. So, I mean, he's pretty happy. We gave him, you know, slush funds, blank checks. What kind of accountability is that? What is it? How are we any better? Then Democrats, Why are we, what are we standing for? What are we delivering for? Nothing. Well, the then let's take, let's take a step back. There were a couple of other opportunities in the days before and the week before to pass a continuing resolution. It's not that I agree. I don't think there should have been a continuing resolution. That's, that's not my point. It's that those uh, were, were certainly stronger in a way. But Representative Matt Gates, who we played earlier, and others were absolutely opposed to them. Why was their opposition to those earlier, stronger, more fiscally conservative continuing resolutions? Because that was too late in reality and impossible to do. I started voting against Republican rules in July because I said we need to start dealing with this issue. We're going to be in a situation where it's going to be last two days. It's impossible to reconcile differences on such a big issue like border security. Let's start working now and push this issue forward. But no one did anything. Everyone was politicking. 
And Kevin can, may, you know, blame his committee chairs and all these people. But in reality, he is the leader. When he starts saying that things need to get moving, things started to get moving. But we waited the last second, didn't explain what we're fighting for, and were not proactive. And I told him in July, to the point where I actually started voting against Republican rules, and they started killing every amendment that I had in the Rules Committee just to, you know, to get even with me, which is fine. I am okay to get It's a big league. You know, we can do that. You know, but I'm just saying... He was not proactive on that issue, and everyone knew that there was not enough time. So that was a totally messaging bill, I'll be honest with you, which I voted for because there were some good policies in there, but it was impossible to get that move two days before they shut down. So that's not – and plus, when you say, well – you know, we are not going to refuse to shut down the government. You know, it's like in the in the poker, right? The game is like everyone knows that, you know, you can never bluff and they not, can predict you. Oh, no, we are not going to shut down. Why they should agree to it? If you're not going to make some strikes and stand the ground, you know, you're never going to win. And that's unfortunately, he didn't play that game right. But that's not a game. It's the lives of Americans. We have open borders. We have crushing debt. We have administrations that run in wild. And I said, I used to say, let's pick three hills to die on, and I'll help you to take them. I am saying, let's just pick one. And I think that commission is what Samson wanted at least do better for next year. And then we let's can talk, deal with the border. Let's talk about the debt commission as you have it. And we'll get to some other things. Talking to Congresswoman Victoria Sparts of the Indiana 5th District. This is what you put out. You put it out on X Twitter uh, just today, an immediate release. Quote, I've done many very difficult things, being one woman standing many times with many very long hours and personal sacrifices. But there is a limitation to human capacity. If Congress does not pass a debt commission this year to move the needle on the crushing national debt inflation, at least at the next debt ceiling increase at the end of 2024, I will not continue sacrificing my children for this circus with a complete absence of leadership vision and spine i cannot save this republic alone uh congresswoman i I know you a little bit uh you were kind enough to invite me uh to uh congress to the joint session to hear the president of israel uh uh give a a a speech and and such an enjoyable event it was but this statement here is a statement that is meant to slap Kevin McCarthy in the face. This is a slap to the speaker, and this is a threat to resign if you don't get the debt commission. Am I reading this wrong? No, it's not just him. It's actually we need to decide as the Republicans, do we stand for something or not? Because let's be realistic, Tony. I've been in politics not, you know, not from yesterday. My kids went strollers. Now they're in high school. I understand very well. Next year, no one is going to be governing or doing any legislation voluntarily. It's going to be all election and politicking. So unless something happens that forces us to govern next year, it's going to be we're going to be like talking heads on TV, sitting there doing big presentation and doing nothing. That's the reality of politics, unfortunately. So generally, you know, your first year, you know, after you get in charge, you know, whether you're president, where you're in charge of Congress, is more productive year. And we didn't do much productivity. So I told him, Legis, I understand elections are tough. Let's do something at the end of the year. If we're not forced, because you cannot solve some major issues overnight, 
you have to have deliberation. You have to have debate. You have to communicate and get American people on board. It takes time to have good policies, at least move the needle. So if we're not starting this year and fourth, because that commission is a fourth mandatory vote at the end of next Congress, we will have to vote. The Congress, the House and the Senate will have to vote on the recommendation. But recommendations is not going to happen overnight. We'll communicate with the people. We'll explain everything. Commissions will have hearing and input. And it is bipartisan and bicameral because major issues cannot be solved by one party. But people this states, Congresswoman, this states very clearly, in my view, I shouldn't say states, but makes the argument that the leadership is the issue when you say uh, this circus I will not continue sacrificing my children for this circus with a complete absence of leadership, vision, and spine. Are you in favor of a motion to vacate and have Kevin McCarthy removed as Speaker of the House? I'm open-minded with it. I haven't decided yet, but I'm open-minded. You're open-minded to the idea of the motion, or are you open-minded to the idea of a new Speaker? Those are two different things. I'm open-minded to support a motion, and I'm open-minded with an idea of a new Speaker. I haven't decided yet on this issue. I haven't decided how I'm going to vote if Matt Gates is going to move this motion. I haven't. Is there, are there others aside from Congressman Gates? And there's a, a statement out from, from Newt Gingrich, uh, whether or not Matt Gates is trying to burn the Republican Party from, from within. It's really kind of a fascinating piece from him. Um, are there others who feel the way Representative Gates does, and maybe I should leave him out of this. Are there others who feel like you do? Is there is there some level of, of groundswell amongst Republicans in the House that Kevin can't provide the strength, Speaker McCarthy can't provide the strength that you feel is necessary? Well, I'll, I'll tell you the right, and we'll see how people are going to decide. But I work on a few issues with Newt Gingrich, and Newt Gingrich had toughness and vision and had a spine when he was a speaker. And it was very different. The Republicans was able to deliver on the Democrat president because he did. And I want to give Kevin some chances. I gave him few, and he keeps telling that he's going to try to deliver and fight. But unfortunately, it's very difficult for him because he's never been in the trenches and never fought the fight. So we'll see how, you know, my other colleagues are going to see and decide. But uh, there is a lot of frustrations from uh, a variety of conservatives. I mean, Matt has, you know, he's a very unique personality, actually, a very, very talented, you know, per- person. I've worked with a few issues with him in Judiciary Committee. And, you know, I, you know, sometimes he just does a lot of things that I don't know, maybe just not, you know, for, for entertainment purposes. But sometimes he brings very valid points, you know, and there are some other conservatives with frustration, including me and i'm going to think through this and decide what i'm going to do if there is no debt commission congresswoman you're going to resign right there on the spot at the end of uh 2024 i will think about that and see if there is anything else i can be useful but i don't need to be a talking head in tv it's a great honor great responsibility and i'm willing to do sacrifices if i have people with me and if i can deliver for the people but if i cannot deliver i cannot move such major issues along I need to have more people. And I've been working and we get more Republicans actually concerned and Democrats. We actually, even from ground up, get in Democrat support. I've called some people in the Senate and in the House. But ultimately, if you don't have a leader that's willing to fight and he says he's going to die on this hill and take this hill, very difficult from ground up to be able to resolve it. 
So I want to have I, a leader like that, and I'll have to decide on Kevin. I find it interesting that just a couple of weeks ago, it was Speaker McCarthy who called you a quitter, and I got the sense from your statements that you were thinking of running for re-election. Now we're having a conversation uh, about, uh, you know, uh, there's no sense in sticking around if no one's going to do uh, the work. We're going to see how this goes. You remain open-minded to the possibility of a new speaker or a motion to vacate. We will follow up with you. Congresswoman Victoria Sparts of the Indiana 5th District. Can't thank you enough for joining us. More ahead. I'm Tony Katz. Almost as if on cue with the United Auto Workers strike. Oh, remember there's a United Auto Workers strike? Yeah, people have... People have uh, for, forgotten. Um, you have uh, the automakers warning of supply chain issues. Well, yeah, that was the the the, the point. The point in shutting down uh, so much of that that production in in that second round. The third round got to some more plants on the SUV side. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today, you got 25,000 workers, give or take, who have been pulled uh, out of the plants and onto the picket lines. The plan was to create pain, and pain is what they're creating. Now, there's going to be a conversation that comes soon, I assume, regarding lockout, where the big three are like, you know what, goodbye, and we'll see how this thing breaks down. But I said it then, I'll say it now, if you need to get something fixed on your car, maybe now's the time, while the parts are still somewhat uh, available. That seems like the logical thing for me to do. Meanwhile, there's a story that the Mack Truck Union, those workers might join the United Auto Workers because their contract's going to expire. Huh. Well, this is getting fascinating. Find everything I do at TonyCats.com. Get the podcast. Get it all wherever you get your podcast. Please subscribe. I'd appreciate it. I'm Tony Katz. Tomorrow, everyone, take care.